Oh, nice. when it's green, it's on. Yeah. That's clever. Green means go. Green means go. Okay, well, thanks. Um, I, my name is Becca. I don't know everyone here, so that's kind of fun. But um, Ryan and I have been attending. Lost, lost a basket. Um, we've been attending church here for maybe a year and a half. Um, but my background is as a chaplain. I worked as a chaplain before I had children. And so I come not as a teacher, so have grace. But um, I do love to encourage others and just dig into God's word and look at what he's teaching us. So, um, so this morning we're jumping back into Mark, which we've kind of been in and then get away from. But we're going back to Mark. But before we get to that, I just, I just want to acknowledge that I, if we could survey the room, I, I kind of gather that we're in a distracted and frenzied place, just guessing. Uh, going into the week of Thanksgiving, and then it's like, from there we just roll over to Christmas, and it's crazy. And if you're like me, you're either thinking about traveling this next week, or who's coming into town, or what is on the menu, or who to seat where in the room if people are coming to your house, um, because you can't have aunt aunt near that one cousin because, you know, they clash. And so anyway, as we think about all these things, um, I just want to invite us during this next 20 minutes, 25 minutes to just kind of set things aside and um, ask God to just meet us here. So let's pray. Let's ask for those distractions. I just want to challenge yourselves and myself to step away from all that for a few minutes here. And um, I I hope that God would be here because, not because I have something amazing to say, but because we have an amazing God um, who has his word for us this morning. So, Lord Jesus, I confess that I come this week frenzied. Um, It's a frenzied time of year, and that's just the way it is, and we're not going to change that. But this morning, I pray that we would just cross this line into your presence that we would ask, Holy Spirit, that you would show up, that you would speak to each and every one of us some significant thing that you want for us to hear, for us to take away, for us to know about who you are in your heart for us, Lord, and that we would be able to walk into the rest of this week and the rest of this month and this season with a, a nugget of truth about your heart, God, as our Father, as our Savior, as our Lord. Let myself get out of the way, Lord. And as the psalm says, Lord, let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth honor you, God, in this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so as we jump back into Mark, we're looking at uh, Mark eight thirty-one through 9. So if you want to, yeah, here it is. So I, I threw these little titles up. Um, Because as I looked at the story, this is kind of what I see going on. So first, we find um, that Jesus is going to redefine who Messiah is. Because if you remember back when Scott talked two weeks ago, he was teaching and we had um, Jesus talking with his disciples, right? And he's saying, "Who who who are people saying that I am? And, And they say, well, some people just say you're a prophet or a teacher. Okay. What else? What else are you hearing out there in the community? Well, some people say 
you're John the Baptist or Elijah back from the dead. And Jesus says, okay, that's kind of interesting. What, what about you? You spend the most time with me. Who do you say that I am? And, and we love our friend Peter who pipes up and says, you are Messiah. You're the Messiah. That's a huge moment. It's a turning point in the story because Peter's getting it. It's like, oh, that's a big deal. Okay, so that's where we're coming from. And now Jesus has to tell us who Messiah is. So he's going to redefine that for us. And then we go into this moment where Jesus and Peter kind of go toe-to-toe and have this kerfuffle, which I think is a word Ryan uses, but he says it's not. Um, but it's just a you know, lighthearted way to say they get into it. Jesus has to call Peter out a little bit. So we're going to look at that. And then after that, we're going to look at um, Jesus explaining the kingdom and what it looks like and how he's flipping things upside down. And it's not as we would assume things to be. And then uh, last, we're going to look at Peter, James, and John versus Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on the mountain. I don't know why I said that versus. It's silly, but I like to throw things out there. So um, as we come to the first part, I'm going to read for us, uh, if I can find it. So again, we're coming from the confession, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And so then Jesus starts to teach what that means, and that the Son of Man has to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Okay, so... If I could, I would just like shake all of our brains and dump out all of our religious understanding right now. So just get the Christianese out of your head and our understanding of what Messiah means. Because to Peter and to the disciples, saying you are Messiah means something very different than what we understand in 2017 Messiah to be. Jesus, or in the time of Jesus, what Peter means is you are going to lead a rebellion against the Romans... That's what the Messiah was expected to do, to be a political, but a, like pretty much probably a vicious, like in battle soldier, because that's what it would take to defeat the Romans. And you are going to be a charismatic teacher that the Jews, the Jewish leaders, the teachers of the law are going to get behind and say, this is our king. This is our leader. So the religious leader of the Jews and the political defeater of the Romans. That's what they're expecting in Messiah. So when Jesus says, yes, I am Messiah, Peter says, you are Messiah, Jesus acknowledges it, and then he goes on to say, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the religious authority, and be killed by the Romans. It's the exact opposite of what Messiah is meant to be. The exact opposite. Peter is saying this huge thing, and Jesus acknowledges, yeah, it's true, but then he starts talking about all of your expectations are not going to be met. And I, we've been, some of us have been studying God's word this semester, this past few months, and we've been looking at different areas and saying, what is God, what is this teaching us about who God is? So that's kind of the question I've asked when I looked at this passage in Mark. What does this teach us about who God is? And the thing that I think it teaches me is 
God is really lousy at meeting my expectations. You know, he's just terrible at it. I come to him and I expect life to work out in a certain way. Like, I love you, God. And because I love you, like, this is how my life is going to unfold. And he just has failed every time whenever I come to him with those expectations or with religious expectations. God, I understand who you are. And I put you in this box because you are God. And that means this. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to meet those expectations. Now, most of the time, what is he doing in this redefining, redefining moment of Messiah? He does. He has to say, like, no, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be put to death. But we know, okay, now I'll invite you back to our 2017 worldview. We know that death comes first in order to bring life to all, not just the Jews. Because if, if Jesus was this Messiah to the Jews that they were expecting, who would have that been good for? The Jews in the first century. And Jesus blows it all out of the water and says, No, I will be resurrected and I will bring life and freedom for all. And isn't that true in our lives? Like we come to God and we say, these are my expectations and they're so little. And God says, let go of those so that I can blow it out of the water. All right, so that's the first thing that my challenge is. Like, let's let go. Let's let go of our expectations for our lives, for the way that God works in the lives of others so that he can blow us out of the water with good news and hope for the whole world. But to let go, we have to kind of like stop white-knuckling our lives, right? And say, okay, I'm going to surrender this to you. I'm going to let you be in control of this, which is super scary. That's my first lesson that I learned. All right. And then Jesus, so Jesus has said this, and Peter says, Jesus, we ought to go talk. Like, he's with the disciples, he's explaining all this, and Peter's like, Jesus, like, come over here. Okay, okay, Peter. And Peter's like, whatever he says, I don't know. Don't you know, like, how could you say these things? You aren't going to die. This is the beginning of a good thing. You have these people following you. We are listening. We are ready. We are taking the Romans. We are done with this oppression. Like, what are you talking about, death? That's not the way. And Jesus turns and looks at his disciples and says, behind me, Satan. Like he's angry here. He lets Peter have it. And he starts telling him and speaking to the the rest of the crowd. What does he say? Whoever wants to be my disciple, who wants to learn from me, first you have to take up your cross and follow me. Because whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's hard. It's hard teaching. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, I want to say, God, Jesus, let's go back to Matthew 11. I like that a lot better. Do you know what Matthew 11 says? I bet you do. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. I like that Jesus a lot better. I'm ready for that teaching. I'm ready to take on that yoke. Why is he saying this and that? Well, Matthew and Mark wrote different things. They're two different people. Maybe one of them got it wrong. Maybe. Can Jesus say both these things and not be totally contradictory? I mean, if you've never asked these questions, you should. You should be asking this. It doesn't make any sense from my point of view, from the world's point of view. Jesus, it's either one or the other. Is it pick up your cross? Like, what does that mean? To us, we understand it, but to them, I mean, the cross, do you know who the cross was saved for? The cross was saved for the worst sinners. The Romans didn't use crucifixion for just any old rebel. They used it for the worst of the worst. And Jesus is saying, you, take up your cross. Humble yourselves, die to yourself, and go be crucified. And he's also saying, come to me if you're weary, come. If you're burnt out, follow me. And I'm not going to give you any easy answers today because this is a really hard question. I'm going to make you sit with it and chew on it. Because I don't think that standing in front of you and giving you easy answers is really helpful. But dig in. Ask God. What I learned from this is that God is not a God of either or. It's either death or rest, God. Which is it? He says, yes, it is both. You pick up your cross, you follow me, you die to yourself. And you also are invited to this life of rest and being yoked in with me and learning from me my way, which is easier and harder than the way you're trying to go about things. It's both. You know, God says, my kingdom is here when Jesus comes, and it's coming. Which is it? Is it here? Yes. Is it coming? Yes. God is a both and God, and that's a really hard place to live in. You know, we want a black and white answer. You want yes or no. God says, I'm not going to give you yes or no. Dig in. Meet with me. Know if this is your time to take up your cross or if this is your time to be yoked in and find rest. Because both are true. Okay. Next, where do we go from there? Jesus has this lovely conversation. And then he goes to um, three, six days later, I think it says. Let me look. I don't have it right here. Six days later, I think they say that he takes his friends, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up the mountain. And they're up the, the top of this mountain, and who shows up? They see Jesus, Moses, and Elijah in their glory. Kevin, do you have it right there? Yes. Can you read it for us? So we're going to start at verse 
two? Yeah, up to eight, I think. Okay. Here we go. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain. No one else was there. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance changed, and his clothing became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly process could ever make it. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Teacher, this is wonderful, Peter explained. We will make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't really know what to say, for they were all terribly afraid. Then a cloud, a cloud came over them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly he looked around, and Moses and Elijah were gone, and only Jesus was with them. Okay. So that's, like, we could spend the whole, the whole month studying that and, like, asking, what is this about? Why is God, why is God revealing himself in this way to Jesus and, or showing up with Jesus and revealing himself to these three? What is this about? And you're going to find all sorts of reasons, and I'm not going to go into this the length and breadth of study on what is going on with this transfiguration moment. But I will say, for whatever reason, God decided to reveal his glory. He decided to reveal who Jesus is in this moment. This is my son. And what that looks like. Have you guys had those moments in your life where you just, it's kind of like, You see things and you get it a little bit. You get a glimpse of heaven, maybe. If you can, if you were forced to put it into words, it's like, that was, that was significant. I don't know what that was, but God was there. I think this is one of those times. And, um, you know, I don't, I know a lot of people relate with Peter as always putting his foot foot in his mouth, saying things. He just flies out and says the first thing that comes to his mind. I don't. I don't, I'm a quiet person. I don't really relate with Peter that way, but I do relate to him in this, in that he doesn't know what to say, and so he just says something. I can do, I do that. Like, you're just, it's a moment, it's, you don't know what's happening. They're scared to death, which I think is so sweet. Like, how do the, how does Mark writing this and other, the other gospels say that the same thing? How do they, the gospel writers know that Pete, they're terrified and that's why Peter said this? I have to guess it's because Peter came down from that mountain and was like, that was so scary. I, I was, that was, he goes and tells them, I was terrified. And I, I just blurted this out. It's so embarrassing that I said this in front of Jesus and Moses and Elijah, but I did. Right? Like, they, he must have told everybody that he did that. That's so sweet. Or maybe John told on them. Um, that's probably more likely. But, um, you know, how often do we just say the first thing that comes to our mind? Because we're nervous or frightened or confused. We just say something. I do it, for sure. And I love, I love, love, love what God says. This is my son. Listen to him. We live in an age that is very noisy, don't we? 
It's very noisy. It's very loud. It's very hard to get away from that noise. And honestly, it's very hard not to be part of the noise. Even in our best intentions. I want to say something worthwhile, so I'm just going to speak into this. And God says, why don't you spend some time listening before you speak? Listen to Jesus. I was talking to Ryan about this morning and what we were going to talk about, and he goes, you can't just ask us to listen. That's, that's a loaded, like, how do you listen to someone that's not right in front of you? How many of you feel like you're good listeners with your family, with your spouse or your kids or your brothers or sisters or friends or coworkers? Are you a good listener? Listening is hard work. And God's asking us to listen to someone that's not right here. How do we do that? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I think there are some best practices. But I think this is personal, guys. The way I listen with God is going to be different than the way all of you listen. I definitely think we have to get away from the noise. I'm a terrible listener when I'm in the car with all three kids talking at me and the radio on. I'm not going to hear you. So getting away from the noise for sure. Some people listen best out hiking. Some people listen best on their knees. Some people listen best in the shower. You know, it's just different. But are we listening? Are we pushing back against all of the world and everything that we're hearing that scares us, that makes us nervous or confused or worried? And are we saying, I just need to get away and hear Jesus for a little while? Because it takes intention to do that. It's not going to just happen. You have to get up the mountain before you can start listening. Um, You know, when I was talking about expectations and letting go of our expectations and maybe dying to some of those expectations, I think that part of the problem is we're just talking at God. Instead of saying, okay, God, like, these are my desires, but I'm going to release those to you. I want to surrender that. When Jesus and Peter go toe-to-toe, I like to tell people, which I believe I stand behind, that God is big enough for us to doubt and to argue. And, to... and so Peter takes something up with Jesus and Jesus doesn't respond that kindly, maybe. He's, he's firm in his rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. Like, I don't want God to be saying that to me. Get behind me, Satan. So how do we press in with God without having that kind of reaction? Well, one, I think we have to remember, Jesus is still fully human and fully God. Yes, both and. But in his humanity, Peter is tempting Jesus. What does he say? You have things in mind of man, not of God. Jesus, don't you want to overthrow this Roman government and give us freedom and give us hope and give us life? Yes, 
I want that, Peter, but not this way. I'm not going to take the easy way. And so when we're pushing back against against God and we're saying, I don't get this, God. I have these desires, these expectations, and we're trying to listen. I think the first thing we have to do is say, do I have things in mind of man or of God? What are the things of man? Comfort, security, safety, power. The list goes on. What are the things of God? Hope, purpose, love, peace. And it's bigger than just me. So when we're pushing back against God and we're trying to listen, I think we have to get those things out there first. God, these are the things that I want, but remind me that those are not the things that you want. Help me listen for the things that you want. For my life, for my sphere of influence, for the world around me, what do you desire? Because I think that's the second part of why Jesus is so firm in his rebuke as he looks back at the disciples, it says. And he says, do not lead these people astray. Do not let your concerns start bleeding into their concerns. Keep God at the forefront for the sake of my people. And that is so true for us too. When we have the things of man in mind, and those are our expectations and our desires, it's tempting to those that are watching us. Oh, well, he's following Jesus, and he has those things. I'm sure Jesus wants those things for me, too. So we have to be careful. I think those are the reasons that Jesus' rebuke is so heavy. But at the same time, I don't think that it's ever inappropriate to push back on God and say, God, this is what I wanted, or this is what I was expecting. This is what I was hoping for. Where are you? I wanted a baby, God. Where are you? We need a job, God. Why are you not meeting us in this? Or as our community just experienced, we were worshiping you, Lord, and this massacre happened. We still push back with hard questions but we come with a humble heart and we say, God, these are our expectations. This is our view and it is finite. Blow us out of the water, Lord. Blow us out of the water for the sake of your kingdom coming. Who you are is so much bigger than who we expect you to be. I love that about God. Who he is is always so much bigger than who I expect him to be. In my life, in my circumstances, in the lives of others. All right, well, that's, yeah, that's my last lesson is God is still asking us to listen to Jesus. Today, He has something He wants us to hear, us to know, us to carry with us. So um, I'm going to pray for us and uh, close out, but I would love it if we could just 
break into some groups for some kingdom time and discuss maybe some hard questions on what um, what expectations have you had that God might have blown out of the water? Um, or can you identify any current expectations you're coming to God with? Um, what is your self-desiring that maybe God is asking you to forfeit for him? What is a cross that you are being asked to carry? And uh, what does it take for you to be a good listener? Like I said, it's personal. So knowing yourself, who you are, what does it take for you to be a good listener? You don't have to answer all these questions. If you're not comfortable, you don't have to answer any of these questions. It's just a way to think, process, an invitation to share with one another. Um, If you don't want to talk, you can practice listening. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're still teaching us through really familiar stories. Um, You meet us. And you challenge us, and you're so gracious and gentle in how you ask us to grow. I pray that today would just be a nugget of truth that would embed itself in our souls and our spirits. That you would you would set us free in a little way today. As we break from here and move into time to just talk about these things, I pray for... Um, courage to speak, or I pray for um, the discipline to listen, whatever we need to do, and ask that you would just bless these relationships that bind us together as we follow you, ordinary people following an extraordinary God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your hope, your peace. Amen.